Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others are looking to enrich their children's Jewish knowledge. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school age children receive online lessons each week through the Google Classroom and then participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. Children can enroll in the Chumash and Navi play and study Chumash Breshit and Navi Shoftim, or in the Mishnah and Gemara play, where we're learning Mishnah Rosh Hashanah and Gemara Arvei Psachim, or both. Now is a great time to register your child for Kita for the coming school year. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's Kita. K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Welcome to a new edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism and modern orthodoxy and everything in between. Uh, my name is Ruven Spalter. I'm here with Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Rav Johnny. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. Enjoying the heat in Israel? It's, it's very warm today. It's 42. 42. For those of you in America, that's 108 degrees in Israel where we are. It's, it's not like that in Jerusalem, is it? It's not like that in Jerusalem, is it? I think they're like it's a little bit cool in Yerushalayim, but we live slightly further south, and we have the benefit of flatlands and the hot air. So and intermittent powder outages, Baruch Hashem. But I, you know, it's interesting. You, you know, you, Johnny, you mentioned to me last night you had a major powder outage for a long time, and like as you were yep. telling me, like oh, the kids were hot, and I was like, you know, a hundred years ago, they didn't, nobody had air conditioning, and and they all like you know. I, I'm not saying that it wasn't terrible. I think it's annoying. It's terrible. But like, how do people function? It just makes you wonder. How do people, how do, they just live their lives, I guess, you know, not listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's right. I did almost a crazy thing last night, which is read a book by candlelight. I thought I was like living in the Middle Ages, you know, because <laughs> also a lot of our work is so digital. So it wasn't so much the the, the heat was warm, but uh but it was about not being able to do other things like work, which many of us uh, you know, it's really, to do that. It's really funny. Like on Shabbat, as soon as Shabbat comes in and like our digital lives are turned off, like your mind just goes through a switch. And it's like, okay, now it's Shabbat. And now I'll go learn a Sefer or read a book or sit with my family or do whatever. And it's fine. But like you turn off the power on a Thursday night. And it's like, I've got to work. What am I going to do? How's it like, you know, you're just like, I don't know, but like life is over. How are you going to handle this question? You know, this issue. It's funny. Yeah. Who who brought Shabbos in early last night? Bidjuk? So it was weird <laughs> to kind of like go live in a Shabbos field. But the whole my, my whole neighborhood was a blackout. So there's a certain stillness of actually pausing in the week and not being distracted by all those other things. For a moment, it was fun. For the eight hours that followed, it was not so much fun. We're recording now. I'm glad it's over. Okay, uh, we are a man down or a woman down officially. Hamala Rabbi Balibravsky is off on assignment. We hope the assignment is successful, and she'll be back with us in our next episode. Bezvat Hashem. Today, we're going to talk about uh, about a, an issue that came up 
recently in the Jewish and especially the Fermi media about the website Safaria. So the, the website Safaria is a, for those of us, who, for those people well, who are an, listening, it's an app or a website. Know, right. Yeah. The, the, it's a digital online depository of Jewish knowledge, information, and text. In general, I would say Jewish text. It's an online repository of Jewish text. And um, geared specifically, I would say, I, I don't know if it's geared specifically towards the American audience, but definitely with, a, with an Anglo bent to it. They announced that they had produced a new, uh, a, a revision, a revised version of the old JPS Society translation of the Bible, of the Tanakh. And what they were going to do basically is refer to pronouns about God not in the male form, but instead in a, in a, in a non-gendered form. That instead of saying, he, Vayomer, and he said, they'll just they'll say, and God said. And this generated, this generated a, I would say, a specific backlash, but then it generated a more a broader backlash. The specific backlash was by, I would say, well-known bloggers and certain kvetchers. I mean, you didn't really hear it from a ton of people. You heard it from a, a specific group of people, and I think they had a point to make and we'll discuss. But they said basically, oh, this only shows us that, uh, that Safaria has a certain leaning, and I would say it's a not orthodox leaning, and it definitely is not orthodox per se, but it's not, you know, and therefore they did not say not to use it, but they implied they're not going to use it. Some people tweeted that they're going to delete the app, etc., uh, etc. Et and so for us, though, this raises, uh, I think, an important issue, which is that here you have a very, very major repository, to, repository of, of Torah information and Torah knowledge that has really gained widespread usage and acceptance. I'll even, you know, I use it all the time when I design my Kita lessons in many of my worksheets that I create. I, I give the, my students a, a link to the text if they want to use it and they're, they're able to use it. All, all, many of my students are very comfortable in Safaria, even at young grades, at finding things in Safaria and accessing tests in Safaria. And there is not that awareness that, look, and I, I think part of it is that this new JPS translation is going to be the standard translation. Most people are not power users who know that you can specify and say which translation you want to use. So, uh, so this issue, although it's not going to become, like, I, know, I don't think anybody's going to become a heretic from referring to God instead of referring to he, it, it, is a, it is an insertion of a certain type of value that most people, uh, most Orthodox people are uncomfortable with. Johnny, are you uncomfortable, if are you uncomfortable with this, in, this insertion of values by Safaria? If yes, why? And if not, uh, why not? So um, let's start off just for a second with, I won't give an overview of Safaria. I'm also a user. I've also been a, a gentle critic of digital databases for reasons other than this. Over the years, I've spoken about this idea of effort and commodifying Torah. Right, no, 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 we're going to come back, back to that, because yeah, I want you to expand on it later. Right. Let's start with Safaria, and then right. we'll broaden it out. So... Number one, every translation is flawed. Every single one. Every translation is a commentary, and every translation is an imperfect representation of the Lashon HaKodesh of the Torah. So whenever a person uses a translation, they're making a choice. And there's a lot of competition in terms of 
what your translation says about your ideology by the words that the translator has used, and especially in certain poetic aspects of of that book. You know, famously, people uh, there were those who criticized Art Scroll who non-literally translated Shir uh, Shirim because they were insistent on doing so according to basically the rabbinic reading of the text rather than literal reading of the text. They would say, we're standing up for Torah Shabal Peh. Others would say, if you're going to write a translation, you need to stand up for Torah Shabal So, in Sfaria currently, there's about 15 different translations. I didn't count before, but approximately that amount. And a person can select which translation they want, although I believe that the app does have a natural default which you can opt out of at any given moment. Now, in terms of Safari as a platform, it provides a lot of opportunity for accessing text in original, and their translations have, some of them have been crowdsourced and some of them have been purchased and are now available. So whenever you have, as I said, translation, the issues arise. So does this translation present greater issues than others? The answer is I don't know. I haven't read it in totality. I've said I'd read news stories, but I suspect it probably does because uh, there are certain Hebrew words which undoubtedly gendered and thereby ignoring that undoubtedly leads to a different reading of the text than necessarily the text has for itself. Is that an offense to the Torah text? Uh, can we stop by I that for know. one second? I just want—I sort of want to unpack it because I'm—I I'm, don't have an answer to this question. The Torah uses the male to describe God. With the yud, the, the Torah describes God in the male sense. Uh, we all know that God is neither male nor female. There are male aspects to God and female aspects to God. And yet, the Torah, knowing this, you know, God chose to describe Himself. In the male form, so is it? Uh, meaning, is it? Let's say, if that were the only change, you know, is that a um, an affront to the traditional understanding of Judaism? Yeah, it's an interpretation, but is it an anti-traditional interpretation in your mind? So, so, so I'll just go back to what you said. You said God is ne- uh, God sometimes refers to male, sometimes to female. Ultimately, God is neither male nor female, but God in terms of Torah, uses language for us uh, which relate to God as being male or female. Ultimately, Dibra Torah, Kalashon Bnei Adam. The Torah is written according to the way that people talk. Now, what this new translation seems to be suggesting is people are talking differently on the street, and so the translation of the Torah perhaps should reflect a different Lashon Bnei Adam. You may well argue, therefore, maybe this translation is brilliant, but when you talk... You know, about general things. Do you avoid gender pronouns? I'd say perhaps not. No, I, I'm saying so, before we come to Dibra Lashon, that's very interesting what you say that. I'm saying that when I was a kid, when I imagined God, you know, you're praying to God, mm-hmm. I imagine like a guy. I imagine a man, you know, and one could argue that that's appropriate or inappropriate, but that's the, that's the image in my mind that I created probably because of the translations that were given that guys were referred to in the form of he, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I would say in the media today, when God is depicted, however it were, it's most often always a man, and this is the image that it has, look in art and look in however. Is that a theological so, thing? Or I, I think that's, but I, I think that there's a theology in that. that and you could argue about where well, the role of genders, et cetera, et cetera. But and God being all powerful, there are obviously 
you know, Kabbalistic aspects of the Shechina, of the femininity of God, that God has that as well. But uh, you, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trying, I, I don't, tell me yeah, if I'm nitpicking. 100%. I don't know if I'm nitpicking, but I think that's an ideology so, issue. So, well, you said two things. Number one, do I think the way people talk about God is wrong? A million percent. I've been spending this past year teaching Rambam Silchot Yisodea Torah, and I think most of us don't think about how perhaps we should be thinking about God, and certainly how we talk about God is often profoundly flawed. So uh, currently, discourse about God is not a great proof. What I do know, and when you say Torah, you just now mentioned Kabbalah, and, and certainly we find that God is uh, at times referred to using female language. So when we say Torah, it's also important to say what, what aspect of Torah are we referring to. We're talking about the five books of Moses, then God is almost entirely referred to in the male sense, right? But in the totality of Torah, it's certainly a mixed bag. However, in, in response to your question, does it, shall we say, offend what we call Torah in its totality by by diminishing, dismissing, or erasing out that language, it doesn't offend it, but does confuse it. And the reason for this follows. Because what is Gemara and what is Midrash, it is a teasing out of ideas from the words of the Torah. And those words are written in particular ways. And so if the translation is less reflective of the way in which those words are written, then there is a greater disconnect between the Lashon HaTorah and the interpretation of the Torah, especially when you're using a translation. So Wait, I actually want to, I, I want to, before you get to the next point, the, the, you, you really hit on something for me. Dibrat Torah Lashon B'nei Adam, yes, that's true. And I, I would say, do I use the pronouns? No, but I'm sensitive. Should I be more sensitive to a female who's growing up who, who like doesn't only want to think about God as male? I don't know. But there's a difference between like, yes, that's the interpretation of the words. But the question isn't then, uh, but we're not talking about interpreting the words, like you said, the Midrash and Chazal and even modern day interpretation. We're talking about, are we changing the words themselves? Are we being accurate to the words themselves? And here, I think that's what's offensive to, to people is the idea that we can, you know, like our sensibilities, we're, in, we're infusing them not into how we want to understand them and how we interpret them. We're infusing them in the words. We're changing the words of the Torah through translation. Right. And that in and of itself right. and is theologically problematic, even though a kid would probably never even notice it. Right. I think that distinction is important. When I talk about God without quoting verses, I generally say God. I don't say he or she. I say God, right? That's a word we use to describe God. By the way, it's not God's name. It's an English term, it's a kinui we use to describe God. We have God has a variety of names, Yudke Vavke, Elohim, etc. Each of those names depict a different dimension of God. Most of us use Hashem or God in English, neither of which are God's name. But when I'm describing what I understand of God, I use those words and I don't intentionally, deliberately use he or she yeah, because I don't know I don't think that's ben Ari true. However, to God and was angry at God he's saying ma ata he didn't say ma ata right. he said what are you in the male form and if he had done the oh, opposite no, 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 no. if he had done the opposite the backlash would have been furious and instantaneous correct so that but so so the difference is i'm talking here in english where in English, I don't have to make that uh -huh. choice. So because I don't have to make that choice, I generally don't. If we were talking in general, and I'd be talking about God, I'd say God. Now, the difference then is, you're saying two, two points. 
What happens when you're not talking conversationally, but instead when you're talking in Torah? Do you, are you basically doing an injustice to the words of Torah by not representing their fullest meaning when writing uh, without those pronouns? I'd say yes, and at times seriously yes, because we say have, we have drashot based on particular words which are impossible to be understood if you translate it differently. And then secondly, there is what you've just suggested, which is in the conversations about God in Hebrew, the day-to-day conversation on the street, you know, I go to my makolet, right? So the, the Hebrew language is still gendered. And as a result, even if you change a translation, unless you're about to change Hebrew, I know we've changed, some people try They're trying, there are battles in Israel. Yeah, there are battles in Israel about right, that. Right, there are battles in Israel, but, but nevertheless, though they try and achieve, you know, no, they tried. They tried to be you know an alternate alphabet. That that that. that. I saw it, of course. Yeah. Yes. See, but, but you can't even but, say it. It's not but, like shamorva dabor There's no way to say it in, at the same time. You know. Nachon. So it's really this, it's really interesting. Israel, just for our listeners in Israeli society, like when it's you know when the when the the government was the old government and they would interview like Meirav Ben Ari, she like Meirav whatever her name is Meirav Michaeli. She, she would often, and she introduced, and many people start doing this now, she would say, Shalom l'mazinim, mazinot u'mazinim. Like, she would not just say, Shalom l'mazinim, as like the male form, the help all, you know, uh, hello all listeners. They, she would not allow them to use the, only the male form to include men and women, which is more common. But she would intentionally say, Boker tov l'mazinot u'mazinim. You know, it, like... Taking, you know, so she took Correct. it the other way. Rather than try to change the language, she said the way of being more inclusive was to acknowledge the females and the males separately, which is fascinating. Right. It's, it is Not fascinating. just did she do that. In almost every formal podcast in Israel, that's done now. And when I write messages to more than a singular person or when talking about more than one person, I actually write that way. You know, I write in a way which is... In, right, because... I'm sensitive to that. So that means in the Hebrew language, I I choose to be inclusive by adding words to reference both rather than by avoiding it because you can't really find a language in Hebrew which is so neutral. So now, now we didn't talk this through before. This project, uh, in, which is the RJPS, putting aside Safari for a second, I'd say whether I, I'm not here to judge intention. I think intention is probably good you know ultimately god is without gender and i think conversation uh, person with again i However, think i think it's coming from as you said trying to be inclusive and trying to find a language that would be appealing to uh, a, a certain group of people now that might not be a bad thing that might be a very good thing but uh, to say that it's you know oh well we just want to come to a most accurate translation Let's not kid ourselves. Let's let, 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 let. no. So so def, So I I think in t- I can't judge intention. What I can say is when it comes to accuracy, it isn't. And when it comes down to the different ways in which we talk about God in Israel and diaspora, what it's actually doing is causing a greater distance. Because if discourse in English language Torah conversation becomes one which is ungendered, and in Hebrew it is, then. I mean, often in we Hebrew have is not ungendered. Hebrew is gendered by definition. No, in, ge- in no, English, I'm saying it. In if English, in English, it's not yeah, yeah. right, and in Hebrew it is gendered. 
then what you'll have is parallel and very different conversations about God. We won't even be able to talk about God together. Interesting. My <laughs> halavai that we should be talking about God together. Okay, so halavai that, that being said, yeah. I think what happened was there's this realization. I think that there was an agenda. I think the agenda is to be more inclusive and to try to be more appealing and to get more people who are not using Safari to use Safari and to be comfortable with it and to, to think of it as, a, as an exciting uh, way of an entree into the Torah. And I don't know if I'm against that. I have to think about that and we should discuss that. But that being said, what I think a bunch of Orthodox people realized was, whoa, whoa, like I could disagree. We could talk about Art Scroll in a second. You should mention, like you, you just mentioned it as an aside. I could disagree with a certain kind of interpretation, but at least I have a trust that the people with their hands on the wheel of this important Torah resource are people whose values are the same as mine. So I might not be so, um, I don't know, like up in arms about this translation or that translation. If they had announced it, I probably wouldn't have noticed it. But then that raises a different question, which is what other stuff are they sticking in there? What other you know, sources are in there? What are my kids finding, thinking that it's Torah when they're not, you know, when, when I'm letting them, when I'm so happy that they're at least doing something Jewish on the Internet? What are they finding? And is that more dangerous or not? And how would you respond to that concern about the use of Safaria specifically? Well, I, th I think Safaria lives on digital space. If you look at Torah content online, you'll find, and, and we unashamedly speak from an orthodox perspective while trying to be people who understand the totality of Jewish people, you will find that there's certain ideas, plenty of ideas online, which are, are, are in conflict with our core values. No, no, but I'm saying ideas, not ideas that. online. This is in a Torah, Jewish, you know, resource inside of it. It's, it's not like, yes, it's we not, are supposed to teach our kids, so, you know, common sense media. And when you go on to Disney and you know what I'm saying? All of the questions about the values of, of the outside world, of outside society. But we, even we understand that there's a distinction between inside and outside. That in our house, these are the okay, books we well, read. And these are the books that have certain, that, 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 that promote certain values. And when you go out into the library, you can't just take any book. You have to ask ourselves, is this book valuable or not? But this, is, this ma'agar is supposedly in our house. That's the issue. Well, yeah, yeah, the answer is yes and no. So both of us are scrutinizing readers. So we are able to tell, broadly speaking, what we find to be, what, what we consider to be inside books and outside books. You know, rabbis use svarim chitzonim to be outside books. So I had this situation, I think I may have told you, when I was in my, you know, tour of America, and I was in the Upper West Side, and I went into a, a wonderful bookstore, and, they had, and, and these three guys running at a Yiddish-speaking Hasidim, right? People who uh, very much reflect a certain worldview. And yet many of the books were not of that flavor at all. And I asked them, listen, what, you know, what's going on here? Like, yeah, it's a business. If I was they, in a store like that. They got to the clientele. Right? Correct. If I was, now, in England, because the majority of Jews are Orthodox, that wouldn't happen. No, but, but Johnny, said, but man, most Orthodox Jews looking for Sfarim don't go there and they don't have Sfarim. You know what I'm saying? If you go, if you went to the bookshelf, so they had a, probably a couple couples of Mishnah and whatever. But if you want Sfarim, you know you can't go there. You have to go to Brooklyn. You have to go to Lakewood. You didn't find real Sfarim there. Right? But you go to Safaria, there are real Sfarim there. There's real sources there. You know, real resources. So it's, it's, a, it's a finer distinction. It's a much, much finer distinction. I, I agree. But Sfaria ultimately is similar to that, that open bookstore with no fee. Uh, they rely on donations. 
which is it's meant to be a place where all Jews can go. Yeah, it's not meant to be liquid. It's meant to be a bit like the store in Upper West Side. Now, just like there are Jews who aren't using Sfaria, they only use Oitzel Chochma, there'll be Jews who go to Lakewood and they don't go to this, this particular store, which I want to stress is a lovely store. Um, but Sfaria trying to be a kind of place where all Jews could go to if they so wished. And they're trying to sh- basically create a smorgasbord of opportunity so that any type of Jew goes there and says, oh, I find my voice therein. So you're going to continue to use Safari, yeah? And you recommend continuing to use it? At least the people who use it now. So uh, so everything I do, I do hopefully thoughtfully. So it's not about, am I going to continue to use? They have certain things that other people don't have. Um, And and for example, if a person wants digitized and vowelized texts, Pretty, pretty much they've now become the lead already the past few years. Admittedly, in, in its early stages, I really wasn't so convinced, but they've developed, especially when they got the Davidson uh, Foundation to pay for the uh, Steinzeltz translation. That certainly was a game changer in terms of Svaria. However, I am a scrutinizing reader, and I overall, I'm actually quite cautious and concerned by over-reliance on digital databases. Oh, we'll come back to the digital and databases. But you're going to be meeting, we're going to come back in one second. I, I, I know you, I want to talk about it, okay? I still will use the select books that I use on Sfaria, but I'll still continue to, to hold the belief which I, I held way before this whole uh, kind of uh, event in the past few weeks. There are certain things which are at the very least lola ta'ami, and other ideas therein, and other works therein, which I feel have been presented there with a certain interest, shall we say, which is not reflective of my worldview. So actually, I of course I, I will also. I really it would be a pain to have to go back and change all my source sheets, but I absolutely will as well. But I wonder, because is there a line, Johnny, I think about, is there a line beyond which that if they really went beyond this line, then I'd have to really rethink it. And uh, I, I, would, I would want Safaria even... Like, it's very hard to cater to everyone, but I would want them to be careful and to understand that uh, the use by a mainstream orthodoxy, and I think still, you know, despite the voices that are, you know, deleted or whatever, the continued use is very important. And I would ask, uh, you know, if the Safari people are listening, which uh, I don't know if they listen to our podcast on a regular basis, but I'm sure they're here. I would ask them to just tread lightly. And, and I'm sure they think very carefully about balancing the need to be inclusive with the idea of, of, of offending to such a degree that people feel they can't use it as an educational resource, because that would be really, really, really chaval. Well, I, I'm, I can use it, but I would always, again, and this is not something new, I would strongly caution how people use resources. Consider what translation is available. Um, consider the translations in general, because some of the open source, I, I, I may look at some of the translations there and I think that's just not what it means, right? Just ain't the definition of this, this Gemara or this Midrash. Yeah, you could say, I mean, that's like chat GPT also, you know, like Kabdehu Vechashdehu, but the, he, like, you're right, we assume that what's, what's written is, 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 is accurate and correct and very often is not. I wouldn't say very often, it's sometimes it's not, we'll put it that way. That's definitely true. Okay, we're going to... There are points where there's going to be disagreements. I'm not not talking about the areas where I'd say you could say that, but I see it differently. I'm saying absolute incorrect. You found a lot of that in Safari? You found a lot of mistakes? I mean, usually you probably uh, tell them. And uh, interesting. In the the translation? That's interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Not a lot. I I think probably when you get to more obscure texts, which are 
which which uh, have not been, you know, I guess professionally translated. It's very hard to do. It's very hard to have translation for all these texts. That's a very interesting uh, interesting question. Okay, we're going to come back. We'll take a little break. And then I'm finally going to let Johnny talk about Ma'agarim, these uh, resources in general, and, uh, and what are the pros and cons of using these resources. So we'll talk about it right after this. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, Johnny, a couple of times you've been trying to get this in, and, and I appreciate it. I, I know this is something that you, that's, that's important to your heart. You have some reservations about using Ma'agarim, using these, these sites. And we should mention a few of them. I'll just mention the ones that I use. I use, the, I use Safaria quite a bit. Um, I, use, uh, I use the Barilan, but much less. And that's a paid, that's a paid resource that uh, you have to pay to have access to, whose search is terrible. I'll just say that right now. Uh, Otsar Chachma is also a paid resource. That's amazing. They just upgraded it. And then the last one is an important one that a lot of people don't know about that's becoming more popular called Ala Torah, which is an incredible, incredible resource, which is just growing by leaps and bounds all the time. And uh, I actually use quite a bit. And, and so, so the world is turning digital. Well, uh, There's no ifs, ands, and buts about well, it. Sec- and those are, I'll, I'll just... Yeah, you have more? I'll, I'll, well, there, there are loads more, but I'll mention two more, which are very popular. One is obviously Hebrew Books, which oh, is a free right. resource Amazing. Uh, of non-digitized but PDFs of about uh, 60,000 books or something crazy like that. Or maybe it's 80 now. Um, and Hatanach, which oh, how is... How could I not mention that? The, I work at Hertz at College. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worthwhile mentioning that they have quite a bit of... Uh, uh, resources, especially when it comes down to Tanakh. When it comes to Tanakh, they have a lot of resources, especially articles, lesson plans, and um, yes, and uh, I, Shiurim, many, many, many Shiurim. Plus, uh, and, the mapping one, tool, one the mapping yeah, tool on HaTanakh is unbelievable. If you are a Tanakh teacher, get into the mapping tool on HaTanakh. We have to promote it more. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and so, and one more, uh, again, there are, there are others too, but I also should mention Merkava, which, which, uh, over t- initially they kind of said they're going to do the, everything in the world uh, but over time they've actually found a niche and, and that niche they do quite well I've not used I've tried to use it and not found it useful at all because they seem to me to be insistent upon retaining what's called the Tzurat Hadaf retaining the book form mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if this is what you wanted to talk about but the book form is terrible but pedagogically if you think about it as a teacher why in the world, if I have the ability to have periods and commas, or even nikud, why in the world would I insist on studying out of a form that was designed in, you know, in the middle of the 1700s that insisted upon taking away all vocalization, 
all vowels, any distinction between uh, text and paragraph, and forcing people to learn that way. I understand when you get to the book that's necessary. I don't understand why it's necessary or even laudable at all in, the, in a, in a, in a ma'agar form. Not for chumash, definitely not for chumash, where there's no such thing as the Vilna Shas of chumash. And then, and certainly not for and for Gemara as well. So I I, I tried to which, use it, which is why, which is why twenty five years ago they started Gemara Brura, which uh, some schools use a lot. Some people are unaware of entirely, but those tools are developed in response. I'm to not them. against using the Vilna Shas. When you ever, I, of course, I use the Vilna Shas, and we learn from it. That's the classic learning. I'm not entirely sure why. I've sort of you know softened my sense on that over time. But when when you're using a Ma'agar and when children are learning to force them to use this. I guess un, uneducational, uh, a pedagogical. I, I'm going to get in trouble, but just it doesn't help them read. It doesn't help them learn how to read the words. So why are you forcing them to? What's the benefit? I don't. I don't really see it. But I guess the Merkava people can send me a nasty email. Anywho, no. But you know what? You know I I wasn't going to jump into into that particular point. But let's start there for a second because it actually does touch on a pedag- pedagogic issue. I'm right now sitting. You know, you sit in the room uh, uh, with Swam, So do I. I was going to say, you're at my room. I, I, I am downsizing. I am like, I get rid of books at a, at a crazy clip because unless I need it on Shabbat for my Gemara prep or something that I want to read or it's, a, or it's like a resource, if it's available online, why in the world would I keep it in my library? I've given away so many books. Like every year there's like a, there's a Spolter Purge and members of Yad Binyamin are excited to get my uh, text with all the books that I'm getting rid of. Um, you, you're just a, you're a book fiend. You know, it's not good for the publishing industry, but I'm downsizing. You were saying, I'm sorry. Um, well, no, but I, I think that's an interesting question because um, apart from the phrase otiot machkimot, which, you know, whether, how that applies in the digital space, when I, um, when I see a, 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 pay, a daf mikorot, when you have just pure texts, you know, I can be reading something from the 12th century and something from the 18th century, and they look exactly the same. In book form, they often look different. Not maybe exactly different, but but you have a sense of their context more so when they're in a book than they want a hand, handout. Moreover... Yeah, yes and no, but that's, but Johnny, that's a, a very modern sensibility. Because until the printing press, you know, everything was written out by hand. So you didn't know what was a thousand years old and what was ten years old. And so now that there are books have different styles, okay, books have different styles and they have different fonts, you know, it's good. I used to think it's good to be able to identify. Now, well, this is a totally different discussion, but my sense, I used to do really involved source sheets. I mean, really involved source sheets with the Tzurat Hadaf. And it took me like, over the past few years, I realized most people can't read with you. So when you make these crazy mm-hmm. source sheets with the Shulchan Aruch and they see the Ramah and it's different, whatever, and they have the Rash script, they're not following with you. They're just not following. Even learned people are not following with you unless you allow them to do so. So it's nice to say, oh, do you identify, like, very, 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 very few people, I mean, very, in my experience, can look at a book and say, I know that's the Ritva Musada Rav Kook. So, like, I think sometimes we sheer makers like it, but I'm not entirely sure that, that the sheer goers care very much one way or the other. They'd much rather follow along with the English. That's my perception, you know. Well, I, I think that's, as you say, I think that's a topic for, for a different conversation. But that question of page recognition, right, is an interesting Yeah, thing. very interesting. You know, is it, is it, I'll, I'll give you a very, very small, minor example. The fact that Rav Moshe Feinstein decided to print his Igrot Moshe in block 
print rather than Rashi print says something. Now, now he he wrote his parish on, on Shas, and, and 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 it's different, but. Um, the, you won't know that when you have a digitized text. You won't know the choice by which a person chose to lay out their ideas. And that's a statement. The choice with which a yeah, person chose Yeah, that's only a statement in the very ideas. few instances that you have an example like that. But the vast majority of books that I'm reading, I want to know that I want to see, read the direct. Does it matter? I'm reading the, now the Rav Yah. So I mean, obviously I want the newest edition and the best text. But... The Rav Yah wrote his book hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I don't know, like he, he wrote it by hand. It was printed in one way and now it's printed in another way. So there's no such thing as to, for the vast majority of the books that you're reading, you know, Rashi couldn't read Rashi's script. So to say that it's holy to read Rashi's script, I'm not entirely sure. It's just a nice font. I'm not so much about, the, nice I'm not so much about the script. It's about the statement, but then it's the second factor. And some digital databases do this and some don't. And this, by the way, really is... Uh, a, a concern for sites such as Faria, but not only. I mentioned Rav Moshe Feinstein. Let's just go with that for a second. To understand Rav Moshe Feinstein, I'd say you have to read his Hakdama, his introduction. Truth be told, to understand the Ibn Ezra, you have to read his Hakdama. To understand the Shulchan Aruch, you definitely need to read the Hakdama, the introduction. Now, the, the, when you have a physical book, guess what? The Hakdama is at the beginning. <laughs> now, you can choose to skip over it, but you should know that there's a few pages there that you're skipping over. When it comes to a digital database, you don't know that. And that's not good, because oftentimes the author is telling you not just what they're doing, but how they're doing, why they explain the way they do. And if you don't read the Hakdama, then you put yourself at risk of misunderstanding that author. Well, I, Johnny Dibble, though, isn't it much more than that? I mean, it, we, we're now living... That's not the only concern I'm raising, but that's a, that's a real yeah, thing. That is a real thing, but I want to expand on what you said. I mean, we now live in a, in a world of sourcification that instead of actually reading the, the book or reading, I don't know, the psukim, you know, like, like when the Gemara quotes a pasuk, so like, of course, we never learned to do that. To, like, and essentially, <laughs> I guess you, in, in our day, when I was growing up in the Talman Shas, you had to actually look it up because the Gemara didn't give you the pasuk oh. and we didn't know it. So you had to actually open a chumash or a navi and, and, and try to read at least the whole pasuk. Now they just give you the pasuk, mm -hmm. so you don't even know the context. You, you know, like all, Chazal knew all those things. And, and, and that's just a tiny example, I think, of what's going on. Like, you, you know, you, you find a source, you're looking for one specific, you find a line. It could be just one line in a Rashi. And so without even reading the whole Rashi, because, you, had, you, you know, you, you found the source. I, I think that that's a, it's a real... Uh, danger in, in the raising of, of textually literate students that instead of reading the book, they're, they're you know, creating source sheets, if they're creating them or reading source sheets. Uh, what do you think about that? Right. Well, I, I've used this phrase commodifying Torah, right? You're creating it as a commodity. Now, that's a fancy way to describe what Chazal warned us about, you know, 2,000 years about, about treating Torah like other things in one respect or another. And I think it's dangerous. That doesn't mean anybody who, everybody who does that are doing something wrong, but it does mean that comes with great risk. A great risk both in terms of taking away its sacred quality, but likely also misunderstanding what you're reading in the first place if all you're grabbing is that verse or that line and you have no concept of its context. You know, we should, we, we should remind ourselves that the word pshat actually means context. So there's no way you can capture pshat if you take something out of context. And 
Uh, and so when we have source sheets and you don't know the line before and you don't know the line afterwards, uh, I'll give you a really example, interesting example, okay? The, the, the Gemara that talks about uh, drinking on Purim, right? So a lot of source sheets on things like Sfaria will quote that line. And, uh, and, and the word Bsume, by the way, is a very, very strange term. It doesn't occur almost at all in the Gemara. What's interesting, though, is it occurs elsewhere on that same page, explaining something different. It means to sweeten. So libsume actually means to bring a certain sense of sweetness to the day, and I've explained it in terms of trying to see the, the good and the bad, whatever. You can, there are different explanations. What I do know, though, is if you're reading that line, and you're not aware of the word libsume, which is defined just a few lines ahead of time, then you're automatically misunderstanding those words because those sages had those words in mind. You're doing harm to the meaning of the line. If you think the B'suim means to get drunk, which is how most people translate it, you're an idiot. Because that's not what the word means. The daf itself tells you that's not what it means. You know, means. but this problem, interestingly, and I find this also, it, I don't know, tell me if I'm jumping, but it's not a safaria or Torah or tanakh.org, tanakh.com, tanakh.org problem. Hatanakh, sorry, hatanakh.org, whatever. It's not that. This is the form of learning that's mamash become popularized in recent, in, in recent years. Say, for example, like what, what do people study? There's a huge shear in Yad Binyamin now. We happen to have the great blessing of Ben Sion Al-Ghazi. He teaches this thing called Surba Mirabanan. What is Surba? Surba essentially well, he is... He wrote Rabbi, this thing. He wrote it. He built Surba it. Yeah. What is Surba? Right. So Surba is, he wrote these booklets which are basically source sheets they're essentially safaria source sheets on sugyot in halacha. I'll give you another example. I was listening to a different, very, very religious podcast. Along came Ravelia Goldwicht, who, who was trying to promote Smichat Chaver program. What's the Smichat Chaver mm-hmm. program? Exactly the same thing. He creates curated source sheets uh, that give you the material and the lines and the, and the you know the Gemara, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in order for you to be able to to like you know gain knowledge. This is a wonderful thing. But aren't these just essentially safaria source sheets? I mean, you know, like, isn't well, that the, that's well, what, I'll take a, that people don't like, they're not interested in learning the book. They're not interested in learning, you know, Gemara Shabbat. They want to learn Hilchel Shabbos. But the problem I often find when I listen to Tzorba, I often feel this way. I feel, one second, what are you not telling me? Like, what, what, like, mm. by definition, a source sheet is a curation. It's a cherry picking. It's you want to make, you know, make it interesting and you want to, you want to highlight certain points. And it could very well, Ghazi has his own position, which is his right. It's his book. But I often feel like in the sociatization of halacha, you're just, you're, something is missing. And we see this over and over and over again in the, in the literature that exists now. It's all just a form of source sheets. I picked, I chose, I decided, and these are the things that I'm presenting to you. I'm not sure if there's an answer to now, that. Now, admittedly, uh, uh, well, Sfaria would likely say, we're concerned by that. The difference is, if you're using our site, you can click that line and it'll take you to the context, which is true. It's, you can't do that with uh, Surba necessarily, unless there's a digitized version. Which maybe that would is. be interesting. Um, no, I, I actually want to point out, if the Safari people are still listening, like, Sfaria's amazing. Like, I was learning with my son. We were learning Chavruta. We were learning, you know, Gemara Moed Katan. And then we wanted to go see Yerushalmi. And then we wanted to see a Rambam. So I pulled up my phone. Instead of having to like waste a lot of time, we were in a Beit Midrash, but instead of going to find the books and would we find it and would we find the place, literally click, 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 there's the source. 
And, 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 oh. and the translation was very valuable. The Ushami's hard. We don't want to sit and fight to do the Ushami. I just wanted to sort of get a sense of what it was about. It, it was incredible. But let, but let me, I, 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 I thought to myself, this is an unbelievable thing that these people have made this available and, and enhanced our learning. So I'm, I'm still using it. But anyway. But but let me tell you the the again the cautious flip side again not we're not I'm not being absolutely dismissive the cautious flip side and I teach in a seminary and I, I teach elsewhere as well so uh, I was talking with a student a few months ago who was writing an article about a certain uh, a Tanakh theme so I said okay so so how are you exp you know how are you researching this topic so she said well whatever's on Sfaria I said so I don't, I don't understand you're limiting the Mepharshim you consult <laughs> the ones you can click right. by one click. And the short answer is yes. Because of its ease, why the heck would you go up to the shelves and look for the random book that's hard to read that may well shed light on something so exquisite? The problem well, is... You're, you're, you're lamenting a different problem, which is the d demise of libraries in general and just the lack of availability of research and how easy it is. I, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a problem of digitization in general. That's just, this is just one one manifestation of it correct but but e even though i i have all, you know all the tools we listed i have Barilan, i have auto i use those other things i i'm i mean heavily I mean, those things are far stuff. more encompassing i mean like seriously that's better than any library is better than any library or bait midrash you could ever walk into by far right and and, and you know that, that i mean i write something on daf yomi auto has a as an added package tool called uh, or Adaf or something, right? They have like right, right, crazy. Right. So literally, on any line, you can have like a hundred different <laughs> which I which I do consult, How, because some of those are the ones not on my shelf. Meaning, it's much broader than even my bookshop. However, if you, I don't limit to what I learn by what's just on there. Hopefully, I broaden what I learn because of what's on there. In addition to what I look elsewhere, to only define what it, you're going to incorporate in your by what any given digital database has, uh, solely for ease of access. Oh, right. Then that's that's ridiculous. Obviously, everybody has a even. I mean, I go to Bailan Library. It's an unbelievable library with what I would define as all the farm in the so world. You, by the way, but you, still, you raise an, the opposite point, which is that, and I see this, this is an interesting phenomenon halacha because of these digital resources, which is. Mm -hmm. Because they are, there are basically all of the shutim ever written ever in the history of mankind. Very often, you can find someone who has written a controversial position on a specific issue, and then say, "Oh, you know, the the, the Minchas Pinchas, you know, allowed X Y Z, so therefore it's a legitimate position." Without understanding where this source, like you said, it's a text, it's one text, where it falls in the pantheon of halacha, where it falls in the, you know, in the, in the accepted halachic practice or not accepted, this person was an outlier, what community he lived in, why he wrote what he wrote, and whether it was even considerable at all. We see, we've seen that a number of times. Oh, I, I went to the Bar Ilan and I found, like, you know, an incredible source. I can't believe he said it. He said it, so we have to take it seriously. Not always. No, that's not necessarily true. Right. In fact, you know, the first time that that hit me, was in your shul, because I used to live around the corner from you. It was in your shul. It was a shir given by a senior rav of Yabinimin who was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And he was giving a shiur from, you know, uh, on a Shabbat morning or Shabbat afternoon, something like that. And he said, and I was looking around and I found this truva of the Mishnah Lachot. And I don't really know much about him, but this is what he said. I'm thinking, 
How, how do you not know the Mishnah Halachas is? The Ungavar Rebbe, are you kidding me? He's written like, it's like 15 but How can you not know? And the only time you find it is on Bailan. I found that to be ridiculous. Now, the short answer is, because if you're a religious Zionist rabbi with a Sephardic leaning, the Mishnah Halachas may in your world be no, I don't outside know your fair. world. I mean, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to reckon. You don't have to... Uh, whatever. Okay. Correct, but... No, but the, but no, again, what this person uh, all was saying, I'm saying was, was I don't sincere. think that's a problem that he didn't know. I think it's a problem that he quoted him without like without clicking on the biography, which you could also do and say, who is this person, and find out a little bit about it. die. And yeah, and but the thing is, they're, they're follow up chubas, and I know I love chubas. Or people don't realize, first and foremost, sometimes a, a response will be written, and in a later volume, the same author would say, I've been asked to reconsider this response. And I either I'm either digging down or I'm I'm, I'm amending my view. We see this in Rav Moshe. We see this with Rav Benson Uziel. We see this all over the place. We see Rav Chaim David Levi. I know. So if you find a tshuva, when people say I found a tshuva, I say I don't I don't even know what that means. Because unless you know the personality, unless you know the entire Torah, you don't know what that whether they believe that. All you know is they once wrote that. You know, that's all it, you know. It, and that's aside it, from the fact this that isn't tshuva a, themselves yeah. are are, uh, uh, are not. Automatic president to pass. It's not a Safari Barilan problem because, like, how many times have I gone to the Biscay Truvas and done exactly the same thing? Which is just that. It's just a compendium of, you know, a consortium of Truvas that were cherry picked by a certain person, you know, with a certain bent, which is not bad. It's a good book, but it's certainly not. Uh... Anyway, okay, I wanna, we're going to conclude the podcast. We're going long. Wow, I thought it was going to go shorter. Uh, Johnny, well, while I'm talking, I want you to think you mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned that you like the. Daf Yomi on the Osara Chachma. So I want you to quickly jot down what are your three favorite digital resources that you think are, li- are, are listeners, that your go-to resources that your listeners might not necessarily, uh, might necessarily, I'll, I'll list two of, two of mine that people, oh, maybe three of mine that people don't necessarily know about. So the first one I'm going to mention is the Mishnah Gedola. Of, I'm a big Mishnah Yomi person. Mishnah Gedola, they call it Mikra, like Mikra Gedola, Mishnah Gedola of the Ala Torah website which is unbelievable for two mm. reasons. Reason number one is they have this feature called Makbilot Batosefta, that if you really want to mm. know the Tanaitic literature, you have to know parallel text in Tosefta, almost always quoted by the Gemara, but it's so valuable to be able to click on a Mishnah and see, oh, I learned the Bartunura, but the Bartunura is really only quoting Tosefta that's quoted in the Gemara. Incredibly valuable. I use it all the time. The other thing they have there is they have what's called Mishnat Eretz Yisrael. Mishnat Eretz Yisrael is mm. a critically critically important parish that most people don't know about, written by Professor Safrai and his son, also Dr. Safrai. Really, really important. And his daughter. And his daughter, okay. They, they wrote on most of Shas Mishnayot. Many of the, of the volumes are out of print. They're actually published in the building in which I le- work in Herzog College, like by Tvunot, etc. But it's all available because Safrai bought the rights to it. Uh, Ala Torah gets the free text from Safrai and puts it on Ala Torah. So the problem is, this is a real problem, uh, 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 Mishnah Eretz Yisrael is not meant to be like, it's not a perush. There are essays on each Mishnah. And so it's meant to be read. So it's hard. It's really hard to read. You know, like I really like the book form. And uh, that's also a problem. That's a digitization problem. That's my first thing. My first tool that I recommend so, so highly, Mishnah Gedola of Allah Torah. Your turn. Okay, so I'll just briefly mention and because I knew Hannah Safrai, and uh, they finished. No, they finished at Mishnah. So they, no, they didn't do all of Shachim. No, no, not by, they finished what they're going to do, probably. They didn't do Kachim and Tarot, for sure. Uh, I 
think so. I think they had to see him just like last year. Okay. In Kibbutz in, in where he lives. Anyway, but uh, nevertheless, I, I knew Chana, so, so this is a really interesting project. And I agree, since so many of the volumes were unavailable, the fact that it's available on Sfaria is a gift. And I've quoted it a number of times in my parish on, uh, on uh, Dafyomi. I won't actually speak solely much, so much about Dafyomi. What I would say is, uh, I mean, Hebrew books, which is free, is remarkable. They have a lot. The original Hebrew books, by the way, years and years and years ago, which used to be CDs. I actually got the CDs sent to my house in the UK. I didn't know that. Okay. They originally old responsa of American rabbis. Basically, it, things which are completely out of print, their famous Coca-Cola response and things like that, and then they widened and became a lot, lot bigger. However, while they have a, quite a few, in the, many, many individual volumes, they have a few full sets which are really interesting. So I happen to have a physical Torah Shlema, I think you do as well, but they have the whole Torah Shlema uh, online to download. Now, Torah Shlema, if anybody doesn't know, is... Basically, do they own? Do they have, they have the all the Torah Shlema to download? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you why. I'm surprised years nobody years ever ago, did Devarim. Reb Kasher never did Devarim. That's a project. He died. That's a project. Correct. To finish up Torah Shlema. Devarim is yeah. Nachon. They did another books, uh, Esther and things like that. But um, years and years ago, before I bought my own set, um, I had to do an editing project where the author relied on a lot on Torah Shlema and I needed to consult it a tremendous amount. And being able to download all the volumes is, is a gift. And I even when I have the Sfarim, if I have to quote a medrash rather than scanning, you know, it's just there. Sure. That's point number one. Point Wait, number you made two me think of something. Are you, are you aware of Aspaklaria? Are you a fan of Aspaklaria? Of course. You know I'm it's available it. online now, aspaklaria.info. Of yeah. Absolutely, okay. I'm aware. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for, the, for those who aren't aware, this is a... a, a no, no, let him look it up, Aspaklaria. Go on, what else were you going to say? Okay, okay. I remember the original set. Um, uh, secondly, also in Hebrew books, because it's a newer set, which is rare for them to have, all of the volumes of Nitai Gavriel, of Gavriel Tzina, uh, are available in Hebrew books, which are basically Hasidic, well, customs, including Hasidic customs on all Jewish practice and Jewish festivals. Some of them are wacky, some are fascinating. Um, if you want to kind of think about what's going on in a particular festival from a Minhag perspective, have a look at the Nitai Gavriel. Oh, I was going to go there. Um, okay. Now you have, you have, I'll share another one and then you'll go. The, another I, one I, I want to share uh, yeah. that's relatively new is a site called Dicta, which is incredibly powerful yeah. for its search abilities. It's, a new, it's, a, it's done by a, a bunch of professors from Barilan. Plus, my favorite tool is what I call the Nakdan. Is it, they call it the Nakdan. I don't call it the Nikud tool, where you can, let's say you're trying to make a source sheet from a Safari text, many of the sources aren't, don't have vowels. Let's say if I want to quote an Ibn Ezra, for example, so they don't have vowels, you can enter into a text, it will automatically do the Nikud. Now you have to be careful. You have to read it and go over the words and correct it and make sure that it's correct. But it's unbelievably powerful because if you want to, to make Hebrew text accessible to, uh, to the broader public, most of whom can't really handle rabbinic texts without vowels, that knockdown tool is, un, is unbelievable. So that's my second one. What do you got? Right. Just, just by the way, I was talking with somebody who works for them uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He came, he, he's got a relative lives in my neighborhood. That's an example of artificial intelligence. Meaning, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Ability, it's incredible. It's, it's AI in terms of, uh, so they uh, exploring AI Someone in terms just showed of me they have a tool that you can do a search of Tanakh of words that come in proximity to each other. Series of words. Not, not exact searches, Correct. but... You want to know where a topic sort of shows up, and that that's unbelievably powerful as well. So they're doing exciting yeah. stuff. So, th correct. Um, uh, so I mean, I, I'm gonna say I use all these different things. Well, I'll tell you what. In in the Barilan database, what people don't realize is they also have journals. 
rabbinic journals which are searchable, a huge range of them. And, and also they have Encyclopedia Talmudit. Um, so Encyclopedia Talmudit obviously is a, a remarkable asset, but rabbinic journals, which are whole world unto themselves. I'm going to say something that's going to scare you, certain- Johnny. I used to have one and I gave it away because it's available online. Well, I realize that, right? Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to shock Johnny. You should see his face. Those. So that I, I gave away. I had 30 volumes of it. And I was like, what do I need this for? Yeah. Right. <laughs> ah, so, I mean, you told my encyclopedia, tell me. Yeah. I thought, yeah, well, a lot of people have been recently giving them away. Actually, I'm on a lot of Facebook groups. Not a week goes by without people giving away 20 volumes of uh, Encyclopedia Talmudit because people say they're very, very heavy, very, very you know, large. Why keep them? The short answer is because they're awesome. Uh, but the fact is nobody's learning them in the way that they were printed. This goes back to, I'd say Encyclopedia Talmudit, the perfect digitized resource. Yes, it's an encyclopedia. Who needs it? What do you have to have it there for? 100%. Beating. What's your last one? I'm sorry, yeah, I interrupted journal- you. What's your other journals? No, so, no, so I, was, no I, was men- I was mentioning, I think journals, uh, no, rabbinic journals are all over the place. There's no singular place where they are all found. However, there are certain places where many of them can be found, and paying attention to them is important. Ah, we should actually just say, Tchumin, as a digital resource for fee, not only can you have access to Tchumin as a journal there, but also they have a variety of books by Israel, Israeli and other people yeah, there. Yeah, but it's not uh, okay that they keep it separate because most, the vast majority of people aren't going to pay for another, another resource. They should have just licensed it to somewhere else because they, by definition, are doing, by doing that, are preventing the vast majority of people from having access to it. I know why they do it, but I, I just think it's not smart in today's day and age. Like the, also the last one I think of that I use a lot, I use two. Uh, I sure, of course, have to mention, uh, you know, the, the Herzog Tanakh site, especially the Tanakh mm. mapping. If you teach or you study, yeah. you should go into the maps. It's really unbelievably powerful. And if you want information about how to use it, you know, you can contact me. Um, and I was thinking of one more. Um, I forgot what it was. Go, go, go ahead and I'll, I'll remember what it was. You have one more before we finish? Oh, I forgot what it was. Um. I mean, okay, just in terms of Otto Chochmah, even that, by the way, there's a base package and there are other additional packages. You have the Chabad package, uh, a certain, basically, you know, um, what do I call it? Different publications. Uh, uh, oh, there's so uh, much Shalim. out there. There's so much out there. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but, Avat uh, Israel, no, Avat Israel, no. With certain Sephardic, Svarim. When we remember, when I remember what it was, I'm going to say, we'll add it to our Facebook post. We're going to actually have to, we'll wrap up here. Is there uh, something you wanted to add before we, before we conclude? None other than, you know, you and I live in these worlds, we breathe these worlds, we consult them on a multi, you know, many times a day. But I do believe, and this applies to all Svarim, but there's no question that Svaria is talking to a certain, ah, I'll say two quick things. Svaria is, is talking to a certain uh, demographic much broader than most of the others that, you know, do you care? Due diligence? I will say finally, though, I, I gave a ride, I think I mentioned this to you, I gave a ride to a guy a couple of days ago, just a 22-year-old guy who's in yeshiva. I said, what are you doing with your life? He says, I'm planning to be a Ram in yeshiva and write Sfarim. I said, okay, well, what's Sfarim interested in writing? He said, I'm trying to write, I thought I'd write Sefer on all of Shas containing all the opinions of all the Rishonim, all the Achronim, all the Shotim. I said, really? yeah, it's pretty ambitious. I said, yeah, it's pretty okay. ambitious. Yeah. I said, so how are you going to know all that information? He said, oh, it's a chokhmah. I said, you know, what do you mean? You're just going to search it? He said, yeah. I said, I said, but that's not how things work. I said, sometimes a sugi's reference, not exactly with those words. You actually have to learn sparring. You can't just, 
You can't just write books by typing things into search engines and then collating the information that pops out. But it's the same thing that I saw in the Bet Midrash of that student I mentioned previously. To use these tools, great. But to rely on these tools, foolish. That's not... The words of Torah, this is a Midrash based on the words of Eshet uh, Chayel. Uh, they're rich in some areas and poor in others. And there'll be sometimes an oblique passage in a, in a footnote to the book you've never heard of, which sheds light on something else. If you only rely on digital databases, you'll find the most obvious, but sometimes the most beautiful ideas are in the least obvious of places. A beautiful thought to conclude this discussion. Uh, I want to thank you, Rab Johnny, for uh, recording today. It should be a cool day. Uh, try to stay cool. Enjoy your electricity as long as it lasts. Uh, Rabbi Mali, we miss you. Hopefully we'll see you back next time. I want to thank our listeners. If you have a comment or a question or you want to share some data, digital resource or reach out, you can find us on the Facebook or, I don't know, other places. We're not, we're not that hard to find. If you enjoy RC Weekly and are still listening this far into the podcast, you must actually still like it. And you haven't left a review on, on Apple Podcasts, that helps us a lot. It helps new people find our podcast. Thanks very much to uh, all of our listeners. I want to thank my son for our music. Have a great week, everybody. I know. Bye now.